Hi there, this is Scholar Minor, a podcast about myth, magic, and occasional miscellany. My name is Ursula, I'm your host and fellow learning enthusiast. Below the thunders of the upper deep, far, far beneath in the abysmal sea, his ancient, dreamless, uninvaded sleep, the kraken sleepeth. Faintest sunlights flee about his shadowy sides. Above him swell huge sponges of millennial growth and height. And far away into the sickly light from many a wondrous grot and secret cell, unnumbered and enormous polypi winnow with giant arms in the slumbering green. There hath he lain for ages and will lie, battening upon huge sea worms in his sleep, until the latter fire shall heat the deep, then once by man and angels seen, in roaring he shall rise and on the surface die. Welcome back, friends, to Scholar Minor. As promised in our very first episode, this week we'll be returning to the mysterious realm of the sea, visiting one of its most famous and frightening mythological beasts, the Kraken. As long as humankind has traveled the ocean, the possibilities of what might lurk within its depths has captured the imagination. As Victorian poet Alfred Lord Tennyson so effectively captured in our opening sonnet, who's to say that the incredible vastness of the sea couldn't be home to some impossibly huge menacing beasts? Generations past certainly believed it was possible, and as we'll find out, modern science has discovered that these mythical monsters have some eerily similar real-life relatives. With that unnerving fact in mind, let's dive into the legend and lore of the Kraken. We can find references to giant cephalopods in Greek philosopher Aristotle's 4th century Historia Animalium and in Roman Pliny the Elder's Naturalis Historia from 77 CE. If these works sound familiar, we discussed their history and content in our previous Birth of the Bestiaries episode. These early chronicles of the animal kingdom and natural phenomena distinguished the normal squid from the giant squid, with Pliny telling us their body and tentacles could reach over 9 meters in length. In the cold North Atlantic, however, from the mythology of the seafaring Norsemen, emerged the fearsome kraken as we know it today. The name Kraken comes from an Old Norse word, kraki, and carries with it meanings like twisted and unhealthy. We find mention of monstrous sea beasts in works like the Konanskagsja around 1250 CE and even in the Old Icelandic sagas. In the early days, the Kraken was not always a giant cephalopod. Norse legends told us that sea monsters were everywhere. An 1180 CE manuscript by King Sverre of Norway lists the Kraken as one of a multitude of various ocean-dwelling monstrosities. The 13th century retelling of the Icelandic saga of Orvar Adr describes the creatures Hafguffa, sea mist, and Lingbacker, heatherback. These immense beasts, who also enjoyed the occasional sailor snack, were gradually blended and fused into the squid-like Kraken. 
But it wasn't just the ancients who were preoccupied with these mysterious predators of the sea. One of the first to give real credence to the myths of the Kraken was an 18th century Danish bishop named Ponta Pidden. Ponta Pidden became interested in the possibility of the Kraken's existence following the discovery of a giant squid carcass, which washed up on the shore in Ulsterburg. This bizarre corpse, foul-smelling and tentacled, enthralled the small parish, and news of the event spread widely. Pontipidden began to dig into the lore and sightings of the Kraken. He tells us, Our fishermen usually affirm that when they have rowed out several miles to sea, particularly in hot summer days, they are informed by various circumstances that the Kraken is at the bottom. At such times, they generally find the greatest quantity of fish, especially cod and ling, and instead of the depth of water being 80 or 100 fathoms, as expected, they sound only 20 or 30. Knowing that it is the presence of the kraken which causes these unnatural shallows, they carefully observe whether the water becomes shallower. If this is the case, they find that the kraken is raising himself nearer the surface, and that is no time for them to stay longer. In An Essay on the Credibility of the Existence of the Kraken, Sea Serpent, and Other Sea Monsters, published in 1894, the author considers this reasoning. Since many sailing superstitions were brought about in response to the unknown, what could these fishermen be experiencing other than a kraken encounter? Well, the author of this essay suggests that perhaps the abnormal congregations of fish and shallower-than-anticipated depth measurements could be the result of underwater thermal activity from volcanoes. And these are not the only natural ocean happenings attributed to the interference of the mighty kraken. Keeping in mind the concept of etiological myths, or myths born from the human need for explanation, let's use that lens to take a look at Pontipidin's truly incredible description of the kraken itself. He tells us that the monster's back, which seems one and a half English miles in circumference, looks at first like a number of small islands, surrounded by something like seaweed. Here and there, a large rising is observed, like sandbanks, on which various kinds of small fish are seen continually leaping about. At last, several bright horns or points appear, which grow thicker and thicker the higher they rise, and sometimes stand up as large as the masts of middle-sized vessels. These are the creature's arms, and, it is said, if they were to lay hold of the largest man of war, they would pull it down to the bottom. After this monster has been on the surface a short time, it begins slowly to sink again, and then the danger is as great as before. Because the motion of his sinking causes such a swell in the sea, and such an eddy or whirlpool, that it draws everything down with it. As eloquently put in Fletcher S. Bassett's 1892 Sea Phantoms, there is but a plank between a sailor and eternity, and perhaps the occasional realization of that fact may have had something to do with the broad grain of superstition. 
We've talked about seafaring traditions of superstition before and how the human mind is inclined to search for signs and find meaning in inexplicable phenomena. It was not uncommon for ships to go missing or wash up in pieces destroyed, and obvious limits in communication meant that the reason for shipwrecks wasn't always known. Adding to this uncertain reality was the fact that large cephalopods were native to the cold North Atlantic Ocean. As Pontipidon remarks rather ominously, the Kraken has never been known to do any great harm, except that they have taken away the lives of those who consequently could not bring the tidings. On November 2nd, 1861, a steam dispatch boat named Alecton encountered a monstrous cuttlefish while traveling near the Canary Islands. In an official 1879 report released by the United States Bureau of Fisheries, the Alecton's commander, M. Boyer, describes the ship's terrifying visitor. This animal measured from five to six meters in length without counting its eight formidable arms covered with suckers which crown its head. Its color was brick red. Its eyes not rising above the surface of the head had a prodigious development and frightful fixity. Its mouth shaped like a parrot's beak might have measured about a half a meter. Its body spindle shaped but very much swollen towards the center presented an enormous mass of which the weight has been estimated at more than 2,000 kilograms or 4,400 pounds. According to the report, this enormous cephalopod agitated the water around the boat with its many arms, disappearing under the water and reappearing, seeming to toy with and surround the Alecton. After eventually hitting the creature with a harpoon, Part of the beast was caught and dragged aboard using a rope noose and was carried back to port to be analyzed by naturalists. Though initially the academic world was suspicious of the validity of the tale, multiple eyewitness accounts of similar creatures began to appear everywhere in the following years, and the giant squid was finally taken seriously. As described by the author of the fisheries report, I ought to add I have myself questioned old fishermen of the Canaries, who have assured me that they have several times seen, in the open sea, great reddish calamaris, two meters or more long, which they did not dare to capture. The Kraken as the giant squid captured the imagination of 19th century French novelist Jules Verne, whose 20,000 leagues under the sea would ensure the beast's status as one of popular culture's most beloved and feared monsters. The protagonist, Professor Aranax and his companions, encounter the mysteries of the deep while aboard the wondrous submarine Nautilus, designed and commanded by the enigmatic Captain Nemo. In Verne's novel, his characters not only discuss the Alecton's factual encounter with a giant cuttlefish, but the Nautilus itself is attacked by a school of giant squid. What a scene, Verne describes. The unhappy man seized by the tentacle and fixed to the suckers was balanced in the air at the caprice of this enormous trunk. That heart-rending cry, I shall hear it all my life, the unfortunate man was lost. The lieutenant struggled furiously against other monsters that crept on the flanks of the Nautilus. 
The crew fought with their axes. The Canadian, Conseil, and I buried our weapons in the fleshy masses. A strong smell of musk penetrated the atmosphere. It was horrible. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea would permeate popular culture through multiple film adaptations, graphic novels, and even a dark ride at Walt Disney World in Florida from 1971 to 1994. As you may have gathered, science has since proven the existence of giant cephalopods. And on a personal note, even reading about the real thing gives me the heebie-jeebies. As Alpheus Hyatt Verrill stated in 1917, to scoff at any tale of things with which we are unfamiliar or to set down as lies or imagination stories of sea serpents merely because we have not actually proved their existence is very foolish. Well, it just so happens that the monstrous squid is very real indeed. The giant squid, member of the genus Architithis, has washed ashore, been sighted at sea, or been recovered from the insides of its natural predators like sperm whales for thousands of years. The greatest numbers of Architithis have been recorded in the North Atlantic, off the Iberian Peninsula, and off the coasts of South Africa and Japan. The largest of these squids recorded reached 18 meters or 59 feet long and had eyes the size of dinner plates, the largest of any living animal, allowing it to see in the dark depths of 1,100 meters or 3,600 feet below the surface of the waves. While Architithis doesn't have any muscles in its tentacles, their extremities are covered in suckers lined with sharp tooth-like structures. They are formidable predators and have been filmed multiple times in recent years ambushing submersible cameras. Architithis rarely comes to the surface of the ocean, and most specimens that do so are dead. But we can certainly see evidence of how powerful these creatures are in their element. The sperm whale, or Ficeter macrocephalus, is the largest tooth predator in the world. These mighty whales can reach a length of up to 20.7 meters or 68 feet and are natural enemies of the Architithis. In fact, it is not uncommon to find a sperm whale with numerous scars from encounters with its tentacled rival. Giant squid can grab prey up to 10 meters or 33 feet away by snatching it with their two longest extremities called feeding tentacles. Their toothed suckers can be up to two inches wide, and the Architithis uses them to guide its meal toward its beak, where its tooth-covered tongue grinds the prey down to a palatable consistency. They pump water through their long funnel-shaped bodies to move via water jet propulsion. To add more weird to an already weird creature, the giant squid's remarkably complex brain is shaped like a donut, and their esophagus runs right through the middle of it. And yes, even giant squids squirt ink. Generally, their ink is used to confuse and escape from hungry sperm whales. Given that this description is of the real giant squid, it's no wonder that sightings have terrified sailors for thousands of years. The Kraken, while maintaining as an example of seafaring superstition, isn't that far off from the real deal. Thank you everyone for joining me once again, and I hope that you enjoyed learning about the Kraken and its real-life relatives. 
For whatever strange reason, I have had recurring nightmares about giant squid for the past several months, so fingers crossed this episode will have gotten them out of my system. I can only hope. As always, my sources are available in the show notes, where you'll also find a link to my website, www.ursaminorcreations.com. There you can find additional episodes and content. This week, I will also include in the notes some incredible links to footage of these giant squid captured by submersible cameras. Let me tell you, it is wild. Check it out. Thanks for listening to Scholar Miner, and I hope that you are healthy and doing well. Until next time.